I pray this morning that we do not take for granted the grace that God bestowed upon us. I think that too often we can run through this season of life, the Christmas season, with the culture that is so easily pushes us to run faster than we're made to run, to do things more than, than, than maybe our brains are able to comprehend. And before it's all said and done, we're making New Year's resolutions and we have totally forgotten the grace and mercy that was bestowed upon us. So I pray that every time that, that you get so busy in this season that you will remember the song that we just sang. And it is exciting to hear. Obviously, Brother Fred is uh, recovering from a sinus infection, as, as you all probably heard in the announcements. And um, so on Friday afternoon, he called me and told me to begin to prepare um, a few months ago, I preached a message on prayer and fasting, and I said that it's a great place to be when all you can say is, but God, only God. Well, when I get a call on Friday afternoon that I'm preaching on Sunday, I'm at a place where only God. And I got to tell you all something, I'm excited about this morning. I hope that you all are ready. Um, I am so excited about what God's going to do this morning. Let me just begin with this, uh, with this word. The, the scripture God's given me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have it memorized, hopefully you do. This is two weeks in a row. Y'all got to hear it. Um, y'all start getting it memorized. I do still check out the screens because I want to make sure I read it perfectly correct, but it is in my heart. My message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Let us pray this morning. God, we are so thankful for who you are. Lord, we come this morning, beginning this Christmas season, Lord, as, as the decorations have been placed out in this auditorium, as we come here this morning, God, may we remember the fact that Philippians 2 says that you emptied yourself and came as a bondservant, and came, as, came so that we may have life. And so, Lord, we rejoice in what we see and what we celebrate, Lord, may this Christmas season be about you and not about anything else. May it be about the birth of our Savior and nothing else, Lord. God, we love you and we praise you and we give you all glory. For it's in your name. Amen. So I want to just kind of start with a story and just share with you. There was a pastor over in Europe and um, Christmas had just finished, come and gone. And they had this big nativity scene, Right? And in that nativity scene, they had those life-size uh, people, and that he was putting all the nativity up, and he realized when he was putting up the nativity that um, in the manger there was something missing. Well, obviously in the manger is baby Jesus, and for some reason, like, somebody had taken baby Jesus. Now, I don't know who would take baby Jesus from a nativity scene, but somebody decided they were going to take it, so he starts to walk over and go to his office to call the police and let them know that somebody has stolen baby Jesus. About that time, he sees a young boy walking down the road with a little red wagon. And it caught his eye because he saw baby Jesus in the little red wagon. So he walks over there and he said, Son, can you tell me why you have taken or where you got this, this uh, baby Jesus? And he said, Well, I got it from the church. And he said, well, why would you take baby Jesus out of the nativity scene? And the little boy looked at him and said, sir, I told God that if he would give me a wet, red, red wagon, 
That's a tongue twister. I told God if he would give me that wagon, then I would take Jesus for a ride. And so in his commitment, he went and got baby Jesus out of the nativity scene and took him for a ride in the wagon. Now, I know that we all enjoy a good story, but my challenge to you today, and you will see it all throughout this message, is this. We don't need to take Jesus out of the story for us. We need to join the story of what God's doing. And so this, and if you will open to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 20, it is a scripture that many of you know, may read it on Christmas morning, but dissect the scripture a little bit and just really Christmas season right. I do want you to know, I believe this morning as I woke up, as we've been praying, to let it rain. Last Monday it rained, after Monday I had no idea I was preaching this Sunday, Baptist ministers would say, God, remove the rain on Sunday so people will show up. But this morning when I woke was coming down, I'm talking like buckets, said, Lord, keep it going. Let it rain. Because I believe that what I woke up was a sign of what is to come in today. I told you last week that I sang a song, rain, oh God, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain. question to you right now is this. Or God to reign. In Joel chapter, the next verse after where we stopped, then I will pour out my spirit on all men. I don't know about y'all, but I believe that that is what we'll see, and I'm going to share that with you today. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, it says this. Now in those days, a decree went out from Justice that the census be taken of all the inhabitants of the earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register to the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. In order to register among Mary, with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good news of great joy, which is for all the people. It says, for today in the city of David, there has been born for us a Savior who is Christ the King. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see the thing that is, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as, lay, as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statements which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told 
them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all the things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just has been told, just as it had been told to them. Now, many of you know this story. We've we've shared it over and over at Christmas time. This morning, I'm going to take each of the players of this story and just kind of look at their life. But there's a player that's not, there's two players in this story that's not mentioned in Luke chapter 2. So I want to flip to Matthew chapter 2 real briefly and just read 1 through 6. In Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 6, this is about two years later. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east were saying, Where is he who has been born king of the... He saw his star in the east and have come. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. I understand that in Matthew chapter 2, we're talking about two years ahead of Luke 2, right? That's the reason why I always say that if you go on a nativity scene and you've got wise men in your nativity scene, put them on the other side of the room because they're still on their journey. So parents, if you've ever had students that were in my youth ministry or with me, then you find your wise men because they might have put them on the other side of the room. They're still on the journey. But what I want you to see here is this, is that King Herod was on the scene, though, when Jesus was born. And King Herod, when he realizes a couple of what has taken place, he becomes, in verse 3, Herod heard this and he was troubled, but not but who else? And Jerusalem with him. Now let's just talk about King Herod for a second. King Herod was a very troubled. And when I say that, he was, he was somebody overtaking his kingdom. So put this picture on the screen for me. So much so that he ate at a place called Masada. Anybody been to Masada? A few people? I was at Masada on the day of uh, 4th of July. I don't know the actual day of it. But as I was standing on Masada, the, the, the horn, the siren blasted, that they blast all over Jerusalem or all over Israel to show that this is the day of, that, that we were set free. This is our uh, Independence Day, and our tour guide that was with us just began to weep because he said Masada is a sign to them of their independence because it was the zealots' last stand. And so obviously we were overtaken with emotion and began to cry. But see, Masada was a place built by Herod, and the reason I want to show you this is that they say that King Herod may never have even stayed there. Now, this is obviously the ruins of Masada. Listen, it's in the, the wilderness, it's in the desert. Now, he had some unbelievable, amazing ways of getting water to there. I'm not going to go into it today. We don't have time to explain it. But I want to show you this. They believe, theologians believe, that the whole reason that this was built was to protect a trade route. It was out of his concern that somebody may overtake or overstep his kingdom. Masada. Amazing place. King Herod always struggled with the idea that somebody or someone could overtake his kingdom. So when Jesus comes on the scene in Luke chapter 2, and and a few years later Herod finds out about it, Jesus is now a threat to his kingdom. Herod sees Jesus as a threat to his kingdom. And so what does he do when it's a threat to his kingdom? He commands that all the children, all the male childs be put to death. 
At first he tries to deceive the Magi by saying, come back, let me know about what's going on, and then I want to go and worship. But instead, when that doesn't take place, he decides that he's going to go forth and try to take out the threat to his kingdom. Now, is it not interesting that that's where a lot of us live today? Jesus and the way, the truth, the life, he is a threat to the kingdom that we've built. If we trust in Jesus, then everything that we've built is for naught. Why is it so difficult for somebody to understand? I mean, you talk about, we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I mean, just incredible that he overlooked my faults and that his grace came down. It talks about us being dead, but yet he died that we may have life. But yet it's so hard for somebody out there to see that that is more beneficial than trying to go and build your own kingdom. They've been lied to over and over by the evil one and said, hey, you can do this on your own. Build your own kingdom. And when Jesus is preached, it's a threat to their kingdom. Wait, hold up. So in this situation, I believe that Herod said, God, it's my will and it's my way. He said, it's going to be my will. I don't want anybody coming on the scene and it's going to be my way. I'm going to take care of it. Now, obviously, we know the story. We know what took place, and Herod was not able to take care of it, was he? No. But Herod had the audacity to say, it's my will, and it's my way. Let me ask you a question. Are any of you there today? Even as believers, we can find ourselves in a situation where we say, God, it's my will, my way. Because we've lost focus that God said he has a perfect plan for our life. We've lost focus that God says, hey, like, I, I want to use you for the kingdom of God. And we begin to focus in on our kingdom and the things of, of us. And then we begin to say, God, I want it my way and I want to do it. The, the, I want my will and I want to do it the way I want to do it. And we begin to become the prodigal son. So you can see a non-believer there, obviously, but even a believer can find themselves saying, this is how I want it done, and this is the way it's going to be. And let me tell you something, they always find themselves in a miserable place. Have you ever found somebody, have you ever seen somebody who knows Jesus, loves the Lord, but yet begins to walk out and says, you know what, I think I know a better way, and, and I know what the desires of my heart are in the flesh, and so I'm going to go and appease the desires of my flesh, and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, and they always find themselves broken. So some of us could find ourselves today as King Herod did. There's another person in the story of Luke chapter 2 that's not even really mentioned in it, and it's not the wise men, because like I said, they weren't there, they still had to come they were on their journey. It took them a little, little ways to get there. They didn't have airplanes and automobiles. It just took them a couple, little bit of time. But the second person I want you to see in this story is the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Let me ask you a question. Where were they? Where were they? See, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes aren't even mentioned in the birth of Jesus. But they were there. They just weren't there. They were in the city. They were all around. Hey, they had the best Bible studies known to man. They memorized scripture left and right. They knew the prophetical, the prophecies that were taking place. Like, if there was anybody who should have gotten it, 
It was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. It was the religious people. It was the pastors. Where are the pastors? But I believe when King Herod said, my way, my will, I believe the Pharisees said, God, we want a Savior, your will, but we want it my way. I believe the Pharisees said, hey, I want, uh, we want a Savior. We want a conquering king. And Jesus said, yeah, but my way is a suffering Savior. And so the Pharisees begin to say, well, well, this couldn't, you know, I, I don't know about this. It's not the way that we perceived it. It's not the way that we wanted it to take place. It's not what, what we should take place. And, 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 and God, this, this, this son throughout his life is telling us to humble ourselves, but we're pastors. We know what's best. And yes, you need a Savior, and you get that, but yet you want it on your and your way. Sometimes we fall into this situation when we become a little bit scared. We say, God, ask me to do more than I'm capable of, of, of sacrificing. Like, we begin to get scared, like, Lord, we, but, but, but I, I can't sacrifice all that. That's not the way I saw my life happening. Um, Lord, I didn't see my life ministry Lord, I didn't see my life and doing this job or that job or, 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 or having to walk through this struggle. Lord, I didn't see my life going in these directions. And so, Lord, I want your will, but I I, I that route. And so the Pharisees missed the presence of falling down on Bethlehem that night. They had all the signs that everybody else had, but yet the prophecies. And they missed. So then we see in the story of Luke chapter, see Mary and the shepherds. I want to shepherds. Let's go to verse, in chapter 2, verse 8, where it starts. In the same shepherds, staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. So let's stop right there in verse 8. The are out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks. Have you all been around sheep? They don't smell the best. They really don't like us who gets a shower three times a day. Maybe that's just me. Animals have a, I mean, we have a dog at home. It stays in, she stays inside. They're, she's an animal. She doesn't, she doesn't smell the best. Filled with, with their sheep and, and they're in their sheep. There's no telling how long they've been out there. They might have gone four or five shower shepherding their flocks, which means they're around. All they have stepped in stuff that I can't even mention. A.K.A. they were dirty. That means also known as... They were dirty. Simple terms. They were messy. I mean, they had been walking with the sheep, feeding the sheep. They had been with the sheep. They were messy. And then the angel shows up. And I don't know about y'all, but man, I can't even fathom. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to uh, all the areas around Bethlehem. I've been uh, out in the desert where it was just a crystal clear night. And all I can imagine is what it would look like when those angels just pierced the sky and said, hey, today in the town of Bethlehem, a son, Christ the Lord. So these shepherds were so moved in verse 9 when the angels comes, it says, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. They were terrified, terrified, terribly frightened. In verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the King. Y'all, they were like, 
dirty, messy, and the angel shows up. And then a multitude of angels shows up and they start celebrating. Is it okay if we celebrate today? Like, not only do we know that they're celebrating Jesus came, but now we get 2020 vision, which is uh, hindsight, right? We get to see the whole story, which means Jesus also went to the cross and died so that we may have life. I think we should be able to celebrate that. But the angels, I mean, the multitude begin to just shout like, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men. When the angels, verse 15, had gone away from them into the heavens, or into the heaven, the shepherds began to say one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem. It doesn't say, let us go clean up. It doesn't say, hang on, let me go change to better shoes. Listen, they knew it was the Savior of the world. He just, the angels just told them. They knew how, how incredible this was going to be. Like, wait, the Savior of the world. I don't know about y'all, but if Jesus, if I knew Jesus, Jesus himself was going to be at Luke 4.18 on today, I probably would take a shower. Because I would want to present myself to him. But then, but then when I really get to the scripture, no, I would, do, I would run as fast as I could because I want to see Jesus. And that's what the shepherds did. So when we look at the shepherds, we see messy people falling on their face before an almighty God and not cleaning themselves up first. Let me tell you something. There's messy people in Mobile, Alabama. I'm one of them. And so are you. I pray that Luke 4.18 will be known that shepherds can come in without having to clean themselves up. We are like shepherds, messy people. As the great theologian says, if God has called to come like I am, I've already have my church clothes on. As in, come just as you are. I pray that none of us would change somebody's appearance or God to change their appearance. We want God to change who they are. We want God to change them from the inside out. And so may we never be somebody who says, well, uh, you, you've got some stuff on your show, get some new shoes and you can come on in. Let me just take that a little further. May the church in America as a church that says, come as you are. Because in a lowly, stable manger, the Son of God, people all around him on their face before a king. What a beautiful sight that would be. I also want to take I've got to show you one more thing about the shepherds. This is beautiful. It says in verse 20, The shepherds went back glorifying, praising what they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When you leave this place, let me ask you a question. Is that you? When you leave this morning, is that you? Do you leave rejoicing and glory and praising God for all that you had heard and seen as it had been told to you? Or do you leave this place for another week? Like, do you leave about what God is doing and what he's done in your life and what's spoken to you? Like, I mean, are you walking out singing praises to I am even in the rain? Are you walking, it's raining out here today. It's going to be a gross day. I'm going to have to go home and sit on the couch. All are you saying, no, I'm going to glory today because I'm so overwhelmed with what like, I, I came as a chef, messy, and I fell on my face before an almighty God, a little child, 
and I worship the king. And I walk out of here doing the same. The blessing. The shepherds had to leave the, the stable, leave the manger. Jesus was still in the But when you leave because the presence of the Holy Spirit who has come upon believers, you leave with the presence of God with you. So worshiping even more than the shepherds did. Even a little piece in the shepherds saying, I'm rejoicing, but man, I'm there. But yet God is saying, hey, I have bestowed upon you the Holy Spirit, a promise to live inside you. And so when you hear the voice of God as you leave, may you rejoice and worship. And may it not stop. So we have Herod to do my way and my will. He called Jesus as a threat to his kingdom. You have the religious people who said that I want God's will, but I want it my way. I want a Savior, but I want not a suffering Savior. Green King, not a suffering Savior. Then you have the shepherds and Mary. And here's the blessing of Mary. Flip open to Luke chapter 1. Let's go backwards, one chapter. Start with verse 26. This is when the angel appears to Mary. Now in the sixth month of the the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Can I stop right there and just tell you there is something powerful about praying for favor. All throughout Scripture, I can show you over and over and over God saying, Hey, You have found favor in my sight. Maybe someday I'll put that together and we'll we'll chew on it a little bit more. So he says, you have found favor, the favored one. Verse 29, but she was very perplexed at the statement and kept pondering what kind of situation, uh, solution this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I was a 14 to 16 year old girl who lived in a society then that major things could happen to you if you became pregnant, pregnant out of wedlock. If I heard an angel say to me, I'm going to be with child. And I haven't done anything out of, I have not gone and, 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 and had immoral relations, and, and, but it's going to look that way. I mean, I'm going to be pregnant out of wedlock. Like, I don't know about y'all, but there, I, I can guarantee you in my heart, I might have said, Lord, I don't, well, hold up. Like, I understand your will, but I don't know about your way here. Like, let me think of somebody a little bit wiser and a little bit smarter. Maybe somebody, you know, like, like I could see that taking place in my mind. Because she was 14 to 16 years old. But let me just challenge you for a second. If I had the student ministry come up here today, and it was 14, 16-year-old people, would we look at them the same way that we hold Mary in this, in this scripture? You know, God can use them to bring about revival just as he can me, just as he can Brother Fred, just as he can any of you. I love this statement. Students who believe in Jesus, they're not the future of the church. They are the church. 
And we must make sure that our mindset does not say, well, well, you're a student, and so, you know, you're the future of the church. No, they are the church. And so are children who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are the church. And I just wonder, a 14-year-old girl, and the angel said, so let's paint the picture. 14-year-old girl in a society that it was... You did not get pregnant out of wedlock. And he says to her what's going to take place. And then verse 32. He will be great and, his, and, and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, I love her answer because I would say the exact same thing. Wait, hold up. How in, how in the world can this happen? Like, this is not making sense to my mind. So the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. Can I stop there and just chase a rabbit trail for a second? In verse 36, it says, Now she who has become barren, which means can't have a child, is now having a child and all of y'all know who was it going to be? John the Baptist, right? Can I just go on and tell you that Samuel's mother could not have a child, but yet God gave her Samuel, who became a judge. Uh, let's see, let's see. Sam, uh, Samson's mother could not have a child, and she ended up being given a child. Uh, Isaac and uh, his wife, not Isaac, uh, Abraham and his wife, right? That was in the older age, and God opened the womb for her to have a son. If you're sitting here today and you're struggling, you're saying, saying, David, you know, uh, we've been trying to have a child for a long time. We've been really, like, just seeking the Lord, and, and, and nothing has taken place, and we just don't know. Let me just tell you something. Every time I see in Scripture, when a wife is barren, but yet then has a child, I see a mighty work of the Spirit. A mighty work of the Spirit. So hold on to that. As one pastor said, when you hear somebody that's struggling to have a child, you better watch out because that child's going to be awesome. So in verse 36, as behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now listen, this is Gabriel, an angel, so he obviously understands nothing will be impossible with God. Now, here's the verse right here of the Christmas season. You've got to memorize it, you've got to memorize it, you've got to memorize it. Verse 38, and that is this. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord... May it be done to me according to your word. Let's read that again. I don't know if it hit you yet. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. What is Mary saying in that moment? Just as Isaiah said, hear my Lord, send me. She's saying in that moment, your will, your way. Mary is saying, I'm a bond slave of the Most High God, and though I'm about to go through craziness, 
I'm probably going to be an outcast in the city when they find out that I'm pregnant. I don't even know what's going to happen to Joseph when he finds out that I'm pregnant. I don't know what's going to take place, but I do know this is that God has found favor in me and he's bestowing on me to carry Jesus. And so God, Mary said in this verse, she said, your will, your way. Now remember the word bond slave here. As I preached a message on this not too long ago, the bond slave to me is somebody who has said, Lord, whatever you bring about in my life or do in my life is far better than anything that I could provide on my own. Now Mary could have said she believes that, but then she heard that this is going to take place and said, well, I don't know how this is better for me. But because she trusted the Lord, she said, your will, your way. There's a song by Chris Tomlin called Lay It Down on the Burning Light CD. And in that song in the bridge, it says, Your will, your way, always. It will be my joy to say, sorry, I shouldn't sing. Your will, your way. I pray that that is our prayer today. See, the religious people missed it. They said, God, we want your will, but we don't want your way. And Pharaoh said, you're a threat to my... Pharaoh. Herod said, you're a threat to my kingdom. And so I don't want it your will or I don't want it your way. Either way. But who got to see Jesus? Mary and the shepherds. Now, I want to just take a little bit further and, 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 and kind of walk through this for a second because... I believe that what God is telling us is that he wants us to get out of the way. He wants us to fall on our face and say, God, your will, your way, no matter what. No matter what you want to do. No matter how you want it to take place. So right here in this scripture, we see that, that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious people of the day, they said, hey, um, we want it one way, and God did it in the unexpectable way as a child, a baby, in a manger, there was no room for him. And so they were like, wait, hold up. That's like, we wanted it a different way. Let me show you another place in scripture where somebody tried to do it their own way. So everybody open up to 2 Samuel chapter 6. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture. So the problem is, is when I get on this, we could be here for an hour. Just know that in this scripture, if you go before, you find that the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. It's been taken by ways that obviously it shouldn't have happened, but it did. But then it came back to Jerusalem through a, a, a great movement of God through events of Dagon falling on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. I love that. The boils and the cancers things that popped up on the people. And so they finally said, we don't want this thing no more. And so they sent it back to, to Israel. But when they did that, they let it rest at a home until David in verse 6, or chapter 6. Let's start in verse 3. It says, they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Y'all remember I struggle with these names. The sons of Abinadab, they were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. 
And Aio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. Remember, they were celebrating in Bethlehem. Who were celebrating? The angels, the shepherds, and Mary. Meanwhile, David and the house of Israel were celebrating before God with all kinds of instruments made of fire, of fir wood, with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah reached out towards the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ox nearly upset it. In simple words, the ark of the covenant almost fell off the cart. And I don't know about y'all, I wouldn't want the ark of the covenant to fall off the cart. Because if the ark of the covenant fall off the cart, I'm sitting here saying, man, God's going to be upset with me. So he reached out thinking, okay, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to protect it. Because that's what I need to do in this moment. It says in verse 7, And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzaz, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. You say, David, he died for touching, for correcting the ark, for keeping the ark on the cart. Hey, here was the problem. God did not tell David to bring the ark that way. This was David's way. See, he wanted God's will, but he was doing it his way. And the problem with this is that when it's not God's way, it leads to death. When we don't do it God's way, it leads to destruction and pain and hurt. Why? Because God's not in it. They're celebrating there, and within their celebration goes to mourning because somebody has now passed away and died. Verse 9, so David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Now let's go down to verse 12. It says, now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obedim and all that belonged to him on the accounts of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, here's the thing. So he does it the right way. He puts it and he puts the, the, the poles through as he's supposed to. And he has the, the Levites carry it. And they get six steps, only six steps. And they begin to celebrate and go crazy. And they, they, they're so excited because why? Because the presence of God is returning to Jerusalem. Because they did it God's will and God's way. They said, I'm not going to get in the way and say it has to be done this way. And I'm going to say, God, whatever you want it to be. However you want it to be. As I joked about earlier about the rain, praise God for the rain. And as I said that when we go out, you know, we shouldn't just be like, oh, it's raining and oh, it's going to be a bad. No, we should go out and say, God, you have blessed us with this rain today. And we're going to rejoice because this is what you've given us. And we want to live our life for your will and your way, oh God, whatever that may be. And then you know the story. They get it back, and he's dancing and just, I mean, he is so excited. And all of a sudden, one of Saul's daughters, Michael, verse 21, so David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who clothed me, clothed, chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord 
and I will be more lightly esteemed than this. As in some scriptures say, I will become even more undignified than this for my God. Like the presence of God is falling down on Jerusalem. The presence of God is coming in to Jerusalem. Just as in Bethlehem, the presence of God has come down. And David is saying, hey, your will, your way, we're going to watch a movement of God. So you say, David, how does all this relate? Let me explain to you. As I was praying here on Tuesday morning, and we have prayer every morning now from 6 to, to 7 until the Lord tells me otherwise. And for the 10 or so faithful men and women who come and pray, thank you. And I know there's many faithful people who are praying at home, thank you. But as I was praying right here, the Lord spoke to me and said, David, do you remember what happened in 1980s? I said, no, Lord, I wasn't born until 1984. And the Lord spoke to me and showed me just about the revival that began to take place and the presence of God falling down where Brother Fred was at. And I said, Lord, let it be. And the Lord spoke to me and said, it will be. But always remember, I'm going to do it my way. Don't try to recreate the past. Just say, God, your will, your way. You know, sometimes we cannot see God and miss it because we're a Pharisee, Sadducee, a religious person who says, God, we want your will, but we only want it a certain way that we're comfortable Or we can be like Mary and say, I'm a bondservant of the Most High God. Do as you have said. And so the Lord just spoke to me and said, and me and Brother Fred talked about it. We rejoiced over it because God had been speaking to him as well. We rejoiced over the fact because we said we know that God's going to let it rain over this congregation. And it may not look exactly like it did then, but it's going to be the same God and the same Holy Spirit who's going to fall just like he did in Bethlehem when he showed up. And Mary and the shepherd said, not my will, your will be done. And Mary said, not my way, but your way, O oh God. How many of y'all are ready for it to rain? How many of y'all are ready for the presence of God to rain down? So we need to start saying, God, we are clay in the potter's hands. Use us as you please. God, we are not giving any direction to you on how your presence needs to fall. I'm not giving any direction, God, to you and saying this is how we want to see it. I just want to see it. I just want to see it. And so let me go and close in Joel chapter 2, which is where we've been for quite some time. And in Joel chapter 2, first we started with sackcloth, ashes, lamenting and praying, right? And guess what? God showed up, didn't he? And then last week we went to 18 through 27, and guess what we saw? God will heal our land and he'll restore what? The rain. How many of y'all rejoiced on Monday when it rained and thought about his grace and mercy? I believe that it's going to keep raining. But then let's go to verse 28 and 29. 
It says, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God, let your spirit pour out on your people. And you say, David, that's what's being said in, 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 at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You're absolutely correct. And guess what happened when the presence of God began to pour out in the power of the Holy Spirit? 3,000 people came to know Jesus in one day. But let me tell you something. I don't believe that any of the disciples were saying, okay, God, this is how it's going to be. And I'm not saying that that's where anybody's at. This is what the word the Lord's told me to give. I I don't know who's sitting where, whether people here could be in Herod's situation, you could be in in the religious people's situation, or you could be sitting where Mary in her situation. I have no idea where anybody in this room is. But here's what I know. They did not sit there and say, okay, God, this is how we want to see it. They prayed and cried out to God. God and prayed and cried out to God and all of a sudden the tongues of fire fell down on them. The presence of God began to infiltrate them. They began to speak in tongues of languages that they may not have known or dialects that they may not have known but yet everybody in the area was hearing one thing and that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that God wants to let it rain on this city. That it will come after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. So let me ask you, as I go back to that story that I began with about the little kid and and the little red wagon that was a uh, red wagon is a tongue twister. He was toting that with Jesus. Let me ask you something. Are we during this season taking God and saying we want to use you out of the story to do this and this and this? Or are we saying, God, I want to be a part of your story? Are we saying, God, I want to be like Mary? Your will, your way, Jesus. Your will, your way, always. I don't know about y'all, but I am excited about what God is doing. So the question here today is this. Which of the story are you most like? I can guarantee you this, that we're all like the shepherds, whether you know it or not. We're all like the shepherds, messy people. I mean, that's just truth. We're all like the shepherd. But then the question is this. Are you like Herod, which said, my will, my way? Are you like the religious people who said, your will, but my way? Or are you like Mary who says, your will, your way?